So, little surprise here on The Wolf after years of living remotely and doing our show. The Wolf made it back to America after many tests, both COVID and airport related, made it back to the United States, back to his homeland, and he's here to record with Action Jackson. Together again for the first time, the show you never thought you'd have. Never show that you may not have wanted, but here it is. Here it is. We're live together, and there's a reason you can finally hear action <laughs> instead of hearing like an echo of him <laughs> bouncing off the walls and then back into the computers because we're actually talking on the same microphone. Excellent. Uh, so what's this? Uh, so it's been, boy, it's been almost a year and a half of this COVID thing now, Jackson. What rock and roll has helped you get through all this nonsense? Well, it's it's a good thing we've got the internet. It's a good thing we've got uh, the Alexa, Amazon, Ultimate Play, because mm-hmm. you can just go down rabbit hole after rabbit hole. And the other nice thing, too, is it suggests things. Nothing too crazy as far as the, the out of the wheelhouse of what we've talked about already. Mm-hmm. But I can listen to, you know, Dark Side of the Moon one more time. Sure. Why it's, not? Yeah, it's noon, but I can, I've can. i got time for that. Yeah, so as a reunion show, we can also actually kind of do a background show, right? We never really introduced ourselves properly seven or eight months ago when we started making these. Just kind of started talking about the music we like. But essentially, we're two old friends who met in college about 30 years ago. And the next month or two will be our 30th anniversary of, of first meeting. And I'm pretty sure they put us together for three reasons. One is that we're both males, uh, and they did not put male and female together back then. Two was because we both had this wretched old computer that was great in 1986, but by 1991 when we went to college it was a little outdated. That's called the Apple IIGS. And then three, when we filled out what kind of music would we like, we both put rock and roll, classic rock and roll. And we all we kind of realized, hey, that's what it was. That's why the people stuck us together 30 years ago. And that worked out. And I think that was the first thing we did together was where does the Jimmy Page poster go? That's right. And number two, you know, what have you got that I don't and vice versa? And kind of get a gauge of who this person was by the music collection that he had. That's right. And before that, the only the only communication we'd had was Jackson had actually been proactive and wrote me a letter. Not a long one. Just, hey, here's my phone number. Give me a call so we can decide who's going to bring what. Signed action. <laughs> Well, that was in the days before internet texting or anything else. So it really was like the uh, the old west where I had no, <laughs> I got a I got a name and I got an address from the school and that was it. Yeah, and it's the classic story of you know you get someone from Greater New York together with somebody from the Midwest, and that was me. Jackson's from Greater New York, and you know it. I, it was funny because I remember getting the letter, <clears throat> not real flowery, but uh, but it was like, <laughs> hey, call me. What a side was up. I'm like, oh, I wonder if he's going to be a jerk. You know, it's like he didn't really want to talk much in letters. Not like, hey, man, glad to see we're rooming together. Let's contact each other and we can talk. Of course, I got on the phone. Hey, yeah, it's me, Gary. <laughs> we made up for it after. Yes, we eventually got to know each other a little bit there. But yeah, I mean, what did I have? Did I have 40 CDs? In my collection at the time, I don't know if I had that. Many. Well, it, it, it could have been, and I don't even know if I had that many. But it was just interesting to see what you had that I didn't, and to kind of go from there and say, okay, well, I know one of the big ones was the Rush Chronicles. Right. That I had. I mean, I had heard of Rush before. I was kind of, you know, I, I did not really know him all that well. So that was a great introduction. And then, of course, somebody had Hot Rocks. 
if not both of us. And so then we were off and running after that. Yeah, and my early collection, it was funny. I, I didn't want to buy anything on CD because as we've talked on this show before, CDs were so expensive. I didn't want to buy anything that wasn't going to be CD worthy. You remember when uh, Elaine was judging if guys were sponge worthy? Well, I had to judge if records were CD worthy because I'm going to pay 15, 16 bucks back then, which is like 40 bucks today. I didn't want to get something that was going to be a flash in the pan. So I bought stuff like the White Album and I bought physical graffiti and, you know, classic Zeppelin stuff. I didn't buy a ton of like, this is the latest from, you know, stuff like that because I didn't know if it was going to stand the test of time. Of course, now with, I don't know, 15, 1600, however many records I've got, you know, it's like, oh, it's five bucks. Yeah, give it to me. You know, I don't even have to listen to it. Let me just. I was trying to explain that concept to my wife the other day as far as you've got songs that if they come on the radio, you turn off. Mm -hmm. I, I won't listen to that. There's stuff that comes on the radio that you will listen to. Ah, okay. And then you've got the stuff that you would actually buy. So yeah, there's definitely a there was definitely a phase or a uh, worthiness to it as far as what you'd actually spend your money on. That was the thing. To actually pull the trigger, yeah, it had to be something that you would just listen to over and over and over again. And you know, we were working on a budget. We're students. We don't have a ton of money. And then in, I think it was September of 1991, maybe we'd been there a month or maybe not even, Guns N' Roses put out Use Your Illusion, Volume 1 and 2, which we've been waiting for for a while. I mean, I feel like the, the Terminator song had come out, you know, mm. Could You Be Mine, had come out way before, and we're like, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. We'd heard Civil War on the radio, I yeah. think, a year before it came out. So Harding took me over to Peaches, because okay. they came out on, like, midnight on a... It was weird. Records used to come out on Tuesdays, for whatever reason, I don't really know why. They've eventually moved it now to Friday, so it's like a movie premiere almost. Mm. But back then, it was Tuesdays, and you could buy them Monday at midnight. Yeah. So Harding drove me in his 300Z. Ah, uh, yes. I remember that car. And we went over and went to Peaches. And I, I honestly, and Harding was rich, so he just grabbed them both and was going up there. But I honestly was like, I don't know if I should buy them both. You know, I think I should pick one or the other. Well, that was a, that was a big deal, I remember, when that came out. Because they basically, they said they were screwed either way. Mm -hmm. If they did a double disc, it was going to be double disc money. Mm -hmm. But you had to buy it. And if they put two discs out, it was going to be more, but you could only buy one or two of the other. But then the argument was, well, we're not, no one's just going to buy one of these things. So yeah, it was a, it was a big cash outlay, but I'm pretty sure both of them did about, I don't think anybody just bought one. I, you know, you say that though. I remember because I used to get Rolling Stone back in the day and I would watch the charts and yeah, the Usual Illusion 2, which had You Could Be Mine, if I'm not mistaken, had Civil War and it had something else on there that we knew or it, maybe it had one of the covers we were familiar with, like maybe Knocking on Heaven's Door was on there or something like that. Yes. Yeah. And and the, the, the second, number two was higher in the chart than number one and not just like they were two and three or something. There was like a, a gap of several. So I'm like, there really are some people who are only buying one and I was thinking about it I think I just didn't want Harding to think I was totally broke so like, <laughs> alright yeah I'll buy them both I guess you know whatever yeah of course I'm going to do that wow. and of course I, I'm fairly certain that back then was when you bought them you got a long box like a long cardboard yeah. box and then the CD came basically in the bottom of it. Eventually, they changed to like the plastic things that you had to pop out at the record store. They had a special tool to pop them out. But at that point, yeah, I don't know if that was to cut down on 
theft. I don't really understand what it was. You're wasting a lot of paper there that was just thrown away. Although we did used to use them to decorate the walls sometimes. That was, I think you're right. I think they did it for security, but then they figured out they were wasting all that cardboard. But yeah, it was kind of cool because it was, it was the album cover mm-hmm. only bigger. So yeah, you could cut it up and paste it and have it look pretty cool. But I'm guessing most people just threw them out. That's why they went to the plastic right. deals. Yeah. And so from there, uh, it was like, all right, then we started sharing. Obviously, you were the big cult fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after Ceremony, did that come out while we were there? That, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, that was one of those that came out on, you know, the Tuesday. And I was first there. I had my money in my hand. I said, I don't care. I'm buying this. And it was... I, it grew on me. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. They didn't have the big hits that they did off Sonic Temple, but I think they they've definitely got some good tracks on that. But yeah, that was one of those. I don't care. I'm buying it that day. Was that Wild Hearted Son? Correct. Yeah. That was the big. That, that was, was the big, big single off of that. And we got to school. What was what had become a pretty strange time for music because we're obviously classic rock people, and there were some big albums that were out then or were coming out there. Like U2's Octone Baby was out around that time. Correct. Obviously, we mentioned Guns and Roses put out their albums. Metallica put out the Black album that summer. We did a show on that a ways back. Rush came out with Roll the Bones, who we really liked. Within the next, uh, you know, several months, Def Leppard came back with Adrenalize, you know, and we got to see them in the arena in the round. So, you know, big bands were still out there. However, there was this thing that was happening at the same time where Pearl Jam came right. out with 10. 10. Was, first 10 was the first one. And Nirvana came out with Nevermind. Nevermind. And the big one, of course, was Smells Like Teen Spirit. And there was the alternative kid who lived right next door to us who loved that stuff. He was right on it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Whereas we were like, yeah, you know, that's not really our thing. But we like the old bands that are coming up with new stuff. So there's a little bit of a battle there, but it obviously changed the face of music for a really long time. And especially that what we were listening to, the college radio stuff. Yeah, that was for it was overnight. Once they dropped Smells Like Teen Spirit on MTV and played it 78 Thousand, times yeah. a day, that was just it. Unfortunately, everybody who was before that in kind of like the hair band, like the Motley Crues of the world, they mm-hmm. were they were pretty much finished for big time radio airplay that day. So we had to, I think we just had to kind of pick and choose out of the new stuff what we liked. There was mm-hmm. a lot, now you remembering the, the dude next door, there was a lot of stuff that he listened to that was just not, I don't, I don't want to say it was good because I don't really even remember it, but it wasn't memorable to me. But so I think we, we definitely steered toward like the Sound Gardens, the Alice in Chains, more of like, even though it was mm-hmm. grunge, it was still more rock, rock than, yeah. than alternative. Yeah, and to this day, I know I've, I've taken a lot of guff from a lot of people from this. I still don't like Nirvana. I still don't listen to any of them. I don't have any of their records, and I don't care to. Whereas I love the Foo Fighters. They're about, the, in the last 25 years, two favorite bands come out are Oasis and the Foo Fighters. I guess Oasis has been out a little bit longer than that now, but I didn't catch on to them until later. But yeah, Nirvana really didn't do anything for me. And, and that was kind of a theme throughout college as well. Like, if it's new and the kids like it, I automatically don't like it. You know, it's like, no, I like this older stuff. I like the Stones. I like I like refined music that stood the test of time. I don't like the, oh, they flash it in the pan for three weeks. Everybody hops, you know, right said Fred. No, 
That's not, you know, that's not going to be our thing. So when was, when was the Kiss Unplugged album? That was like 96, 97, something mm-hmm. like that. That was before they did the reunion tour. I remember this plain as day, having a conversation with my youngest brother, who's nine years younger than I am. And he said, Kiss is terrible. They're old. They're has-beens. The band is live. Remember the band live? That's mm-hmm. the one that's going to be, they're going to take off. And I looked at him and I said, people will not even remember this. Kiss will continue forever. <laughs> And who was right? That's right. Me. Kisses to this day, still on tour. That's right. In a different form now, but playing the old songs. People are showing up to them. I have not seen live uh, since that time. I don't even know. <laughs> right. I mean, they may have put out another album, but it, you, to your point, it's just the, you know, you get excited for these bands that you think are going to change the world and go on forever, but it's really hard to maintain that that creative heat and to have the record company still stand behind you. I mean, mm-hmm. we were talking a little bit about UFO. Why were they never bigger? Because I think they didn't have the record companies behind them. Right. And once that once that drops off, you're playing clubs and a lot of people don't want to do that. And the other thing is, you talk about a band like Kiss, like when we talked about them when we did our Live 2 episode, how they made their first three albums in 18 months or two years or something like that. Made the live album, then they made their next three classic records, Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, and Love Gun, made those in about 18 months. Whereas Hootie and the Blowfish comes out, their first album's a huge hit, they don't make another one for another four years. Well, if you make three albums in a decade, there's not that much... To go on, you know, whereas Kiss has this huge catalog, of course, when Revenge came out in 92, I think it was, mm-hmm. the Unholy Song and some of the others, we're like, oh man, this is kind of a return to form. This is a hard rock, heavy metal, modern Kiss. And then we saw them at the Ocean Center. Yeah, and that was a, that was a good show. And they, they had kind of gone away from the neon colors, the 80s stuff. They were, yeah. you know, with all the Heavens on leather. fire yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, fringy gloves and everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was all leather, all, you know, kind of, yeah, harder sounds. They had Eric Singer now on the drums. That mm-hmm. was kind of, he, he could hit them pretty hard. So yeah, that was a, we gravitated toward that. We gravitated toward, the, mm-hmm. you know, the stone when they put out Voodoo Lounge in 94 because that was a safe right. haven. It was a pretty good record. And Keith Richards' solo album. Correct. The second one. We oh, yes, yes. Correct. To that back and forth mm-hmm. in 92, 93. But it, the other thing about the Kiss thing was in fall of 91, I remember watching MTV, which... We still did. They had the news on there. So uh, on a Friday, it was like on a Thursday, Freddie Mercury came out to say he had AIDS. And then on a Friday, he died from AIDS. And then on that Saturday, Eric Carr died from cancer. Oh, that's right. Yeah, right back to back like that. Which was totally overshadowed. Obviously, Freddie Mercury's an international icon. Most people weren't following Kiss anymore, didn't necessarily know Eric Carr. Plus, AIDS was the hot button thing mm-hmm. back then. And, and and Magic Johnson had come out as HIV positive kind of right yeah. after that, I feel like, you know. Not to mention, those were the days of, you know, we went through our freshman orientation, and, you know, the lady's like, ladies, you have to be careful on campus. Look to your left. Now look to your right. Both those men will try to rape you. One of them has AIDS. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not raping anybody. That's, and I don't have AIDS. I don't think I have you know, AIDS. Uh, you know that's, that's, that's not, I mean, I know you want to keep people safe, but let's try to keep it on the, you know, on the smart side instead of the fear and mongering side, right? Goodness, you know. Um, so, but yeah, so th- we, we wanted to go see Kiss. So that was the first tour, really, with, with Eric Singer. Right. Which I didn't think about. But do you remember when they did a song called Take It Off? Va- vaguely. 
<laughs> they had some extra help on that one, which, I mean, the song itself is not that great, but the, the extra part was pretty exciting. So we're in Daytona and we're at the Ocean Center, which is a pretty small arena. I mean, it didn't have any seats in the bottom. Yeah. Uh, maybe it was 10,000, but we're, uh, and we love the old stuff, right? And I had double platinum, listening to that back and forth. I loved Strutter on there. And Paul comes out and does his thing. This is in the middle of the show. He goes, you got a lot of pretty girls out here. You got a lot of girls who like to strut their stuff. I'm like, oh, you're going to play Strutter. Here we go. I can't believe it. Yeah. And they go, here's a song for you. We new song for you called Take It Off. And I'm like, oh, man, what a letdown. And they're playing this. And that's, that's kind of a cheesy title. And it's like, gee, who, what kind of girls is this for? And so it, we listen to the song like, ah, oh, this isn't Strutter. And then halfway through, let's say, we'll call them dancers, I guess, come out, three or four of them come out on stage and kind of start doing their thing. Like, oh, okay, now the song just got better. Meanwhile, there's Gene. He's taking every pick off his mic stand and flicking them, you know, flicking them at the girls. Like, hey, look at me. Pay attention to I'm me. over here. I'm the one you want to be with. <laughs> And plus, he looked at me um, at one point because we were we could there was no seats, so we kind of pushed up. I don't know, were we fifteen? Yeah, we were pretty people close. back, yeah. you know, not too far back. And I just remember I was looking at the side of the venue, just saying, "Okay, yeah, there aren't that many seats up there. This place isn't that big." I was just looking, and I was bobbing my head to the beat, and I come back, I turn from like the side to come back to the stage, and there was Gene looking right at me, like bobbing his head at the exact same rate I was. Like, Gene just looked at me. Happy days back in the day, you know. And I remember people asking us, "Well, do they do they still wear their makeup and all that stuff?" I'm like, "No, they've moved on." But eventually they came back. Yeah, I saw I saw a thing for that that Kiss Kiss convention, mm -hmm. you know, with all K's, and they had that band Strutter mm -hmm. there. That was the cover band, and I really wonder if that was the that was the genesis where they saw like, wait. These people really like the old, the old outfits, the old music, the mm -hmm. old vibe from the show. Mm, because I don't know, had they not done that with the with the reunion and the makeup, would they kind of would have just petered off, maybe. Yeah. But that just re-energized the whole thing. I don't think I would have seen them on another tour after we'd seen them in Daytona. But Ace and Peter are back with makeup. I'm, I'm there. there. I yes. can't wait. You know, and even Doc McGee, their manager, Chip Magoo, um, <laughs> was like, "Is this even?" gonna work do people even want this and then like tiger stadium sold out in 45 minutes he's like oh okay i, I get it yeah, yeah this is gonna be enormous and of course it has been now for about 25 years mm -hmm. to have them back so it was fun to be able to see kind of the end of the non-makeup era the beginning of singer in the band talk about getting a plum gig dude I mean, that's awesome. He's now a full-fledged member. I mean, I don't think he makes quite as much as Gene and Paul do. No. But no. He, he earns an incredible living after being, you know, a stint in Black Sabbath. Was he in Blue Murder with John Sykes, I think, maybe? You he, know? Was, he was, if you go back and look at those liner notes from like the, the mid to late 80s into the early 90s, mm -hmm. yeah, he was in, he was all over the place. He was a big session guy. But you're right, to get a full-time gig like that is what all those guys dream of. All because those guys. It's just steady work and a steady paycheck. And that's got to be like, there was one uh, a video where they were going to Dubai mm -hmm. and they're all flying the, you know, uh, United Emirates first class where you get your own little pod and everything. Sure, yeah. that's, that's a nice perk. Mm -hmm. Not in the back. You know, <laughs> Paul and Gene drop you off in the back. That's right. <laughs> that's right. We're going to sit up here with Doc. You guys sit back there in the road crew Correct. and, uh, you know, we'll all get there eventually. <laughs>
Speaking of which, I'm just glad I made it to America, Jackson. Yes, we all had to take tests to come over here. We are on the Amber list in the UK, so we're going to have to quarantine for a while when we get back. But getting out wasn't easy. Six hours on a plane that basically went nowhere, then we had to stay overnight. Then we're on the next flight the next day, running through the Atlanta airport, sweating an hour from the gate to customs, to bag collection, to rechecking baggage, to going back through security, to going through the train all the way to the right gate, and then having to finagle getting on that right plane before the next one was full too. <sighs> I didn't think I was going to make it, but it's so good to be back in America. Like I, I love London. The UK is great. It's a really neat opportunity for us to live abroad, but there's nothing like being home in the USA. Never had a problem with it. I have a problem with some Americans, but I've never had a problem with America. And it's funny too, because you were talking about when you first said that you were going to do this, I was thinking, you know what? Mm, I, I could do it if it had a fine, if it had a beginning and end date. I don't think I could move out of the United States forever. I just couldn't. You're right. There's too much stuff that I take for granted here that we have that, mm -hmm. you know, like ice. They have no ice, <laughs> ice. In, in the UK. What is wrong with you, Europeans? What do you have against ice? <laughs> It makes your drink colder, okay? It's awesome. It's just cold water. That's all it is. And I remember the first time I ever went to, to London, it was in the summer, and the stuff is in refrigerators, but the refrigerators aren't that cold, so it's kind of right. like, oh, here's a lukewarm Coke. Okay, thank you. Yeah, we went to Cyprus, and we went to a nice hotel, and we're right on the water there, and Cyprus was beautiful. This was, I guess, what, summer of 2019, and they even told me when I checked in, like, oh, well, is there a refrigerator in the rooms? Like, yeah. There's a refrigerator in there, but it doesn't really keep anything cold. It just, like, keeps it colder than your room temperature. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that seems like a good use of space and electricity to, you know, to keep things slightly colder than room temperature. I thought that was odd. But, I mean, it, it, and the thing is, I live in the Midwest, where, yes, I live in a city, but I live in the burbs. I'm used to having a little space, whereas in London, and we wanted to live in central London, we could live an hour and a half outside of London and commute in and have a lot more space. Absolutely. But the point was to explore new culture, you know, to get into the city, to lean into it, you know, don't try to bring too much of your life with you. Just bring what you need and adapt to this new place to make new friends and, and absorb new cultures. And I guess it's not all that much different from living in a New York City, although I find London more livable than New York, but that's just me. It's a little more, New York's a little rougher and not not the place itself, just the, the people there. Mm -hmm. You have to be, you have to definitely have a harder shell to yeah. live in New York City than in London. And London is a lot older obviously and has sprawled out forever whereas you can sprawl into New Jersey, you can sprawl into Connecticut, but that island is there's nowhere to go <laughs> except up. Yeah. Whereas you know most places especially in London and St. John's Wood, sure there's some some tall buildings but most are in the four story range so you can see the sky. Pretty livable. There's great parks around there. Really do like it. But uh, yeah, I mean, being able to come back to America and folks in, in London and, and around the world, I haven't had my mask on since I left the airport. You, you got a mask up in the airport. You got a mask up on the plane. As soon as you're out in Florida, certainly, there are no masks required anywhere. I went to the DMV where you should probably wear a mask anyway, like pre-COVID. You should probably wear gloves and a mask anyway. Nobody even asked me once to put it on. USA. USA. <laughs> You know, one thing I want to I want to go back. We were talking about the early days. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I really enjoyed was you went to school all day 
And then the afternoon, you're kind of like, well, I'm a little tired. What do you want to do now? We used to have this CD store that was about two blocks away, Easy Walk, and they had a very large used collection. That's and right. that was one of my favorite things to do is to just go through there and see if you could find something that was tasty and on sale. Because again, as we've talked about before, new was very expensive. Right. But to find something used, like, oh, I always wanted that one. Or I wouldn't have bought it at... $25, but $12, I think I'm going to take a chance on this. I, I, I remember doing that. We would sit around. What do you want to do? I don't know. You want to Park Avenue CD? Let's, yeah, go. let's go. Yeah. And we would look through every single one, which is crazy to think now. You you don't go through the rack and look at every single CD. I've got to go looking for something. i got to have something in mind. If I go to a record shop today, like, oh, I'm looking for this old record, or I'm looking for something new, or whatever it is. But back then, it was so wide open. And if they've got, you know, 500 used CDs or whatever, it's like, all right, let's just go. Let's start flipping through. Because college kids get sick of stuff. They run out of money. they got to sell that stuff back. So it's like somebody's trash is going to be my treasure. That's how I got Kiss Alive too, Because it was only like 12 bucks for the double disc or $14 or something like that. I'm like, no way, dude. This is Ooh, awesome. get rid of this. You know, yeah. So we, and, and that's, and we made a whole show out of Kiss Alive too. <laughs> yeah. It was just, it was, it was just a, it's a concept that's gone now because you can listen to whatever you want, but it was really just kind of a cool way to, like I said, relax and just, you know, kind of get out of the, get get off of campus, get away from everything and just see if there was something that struck your fancy. Again, there we, you were a lot more inclined to buy something used if it was in decent shape because of the pricing. And I think, I, I, I know there were a couple I have to think about off the top of my head that I bought that I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. that I got for that, for the used price. And yeah, it's a little beat up. Maybe it's, a, you know, the jewel case is scratched, but as long as the CD works, no problems. That's right. That's right. And and, he, and they also sold new stuff too. So mm-hmm. like we got the, what was it? The, the best of the cult, the lovers, brockers, sinners, and whatever that one yeah. in there that also had like the first disc of the marquee live right. set in there. Like, we, you know, we got that there. The stuff that we listened to all, but you know, some stuff didn't like, I remember we listened to a little bit of driving and crying back then. Like, you know what, this is pretty good and then you know like half a year later I'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> I buy this on CD. I could have bought something else, you know. It is interesting how some some stuff changes and some stuff never does. Mm-hmm. And it, I guess it's just like you said, you kind of get caught up. Like if you hear it on the radio, you're like, oh yeah, I really like that tune. And after a while, nah, that didn't that right. one didn't hold up. And I feel like you know, like Hootie and the Blowfish didn't listen to them after college. You know, stuff like Counting Crows never really listened to them after college. The offspring were big. Yeah, those last couple of years yeah. really just had that one record. Didn't worry about it, and I wanted to go out and get more. You know, let's increase my Who collection, right? Let's let's get the classics that I know are going to be good, and we can explore them now. But then we can also re-explore them later. Plus, a lot of greatest hits and box sets were coming out during that time. It was a good time to to kind of be a collector, even though they're a little on the high price compared to what they are now. It was a great time. And the thing is, I would resist new stuff. Like, Oasis is now one of my favorite bands. They came out when we were in college. Mm-hmm. But, A, you know, I didn't watch MTV anymore. Past, like, freshman year, I feel like, maybe sophomore year, I kind of stopped watching MTV. And it started to change not long after that. Plus, if the kids were into it, if people my age were into it, I'm like, yeah, that's no good. You know, I, I got to go for the older stuff. But you, you miss stuff when you turn your stuff off like that. And But, you you know, you, then you, when you're open to stuff and it becomes Counting Crows. I'm like, yeah, it's not my favorite. Yeah. And I kind of feel bad for those bands because for a while they were on top of the world and I can imagine they thought 
the ride would never end. Right. And, you know, every album would be bigger than the last. But yeah, the, unfortunately, the music business is so fickle that if you're not popular, that you're probably not going to get re- you're not going to get another contract or another contract that they would promote. Right. That's a difference. You can always get on a small label pretty easily, but to get the big, and now of course they've consolidated. There's only so many big record companies that really push bands out there anymore. Mm -hmm. And they don't push bands, to be honest with you. It's a lot easier to get one pretty pop princess that you can control versus, all right, we got to get a band of four or five guys and then they've got to gel. And then do we fight to keep them together? Do we fight to just keep the main songwriters together? A lot of dynamics can happen in a four or five member band. Whereas if you just get a Carly Rae Jepsen, get someone to write the songs, get someone else to play the music, just get her out there singing happy, keep her face out there. It's easier to control her than it is to control an entire band, especially for years and years. And then you have the the phenomenon of, was it, I think Rhino Records mm-hmm. started it with with repackaging and remastering older stuff and it seems like that's a lot what the what the record companies want to promote too you already have back in black in the can all you do is polish it up put a couple new photos on it and sell it to you again so I kind of feel like a lot of the record companies they're pushing stuff that, that's catalog stuff that they've already paid for right right and CDs were so expensive then it was kind of like free money you know it's like alright well, let's put them all together and we put a two three four disc set that's a ton of money we can raise in for stuff and maybe you put one or two new songs out there something like that but for the most part yeah it was that was they were making money hand over fist and I would say they were kind of ripping off the consumer in the late 80s early 90s because of the way the prices were thankfully artists were starting to get more of the money and that's a good thing and I think some of those bands we mentioned like Hootie and the Blowfish like they got a good record contract for their first record they got rich they didn't really have to make a super successful second record although I think that their second one did okay nothing compared to that that big first one. So yeah, things were changing and little did we know right around the corner with the internet and MP3s, things were going to change again in a very negative way for the writers of songs and those who get their royalties. Yeah, and and I know that uh, Lars Ulrich got a, a lot of crap for that because he was the one that really pushed against, railed against it. Oh, you know, you're already a millionaire. What do you care? But his whole point was, first of all, it's my money. You <laughs> owe me the money for this. And then secondly, it trickled down to, you know, the guy who was working at the record store that wasn't going to have a job anymore right. when this all got to be just put out for free. And I won't tell you that I didn't do that because, again, there were songs and stuff <laughs> that I would be hesitant to pay for, but if I could get them from somebody else, maybe at, you know, 3.30 in the morning because it took you nine hours to download things back then. But yeah, that, that changed everything. And then there's that whole gray area of, you know, is it stealing if you're not paying for it? And the, the guys who are the people that operate the platform say we're not charging. So, yeah, that's that definitely that definitely hurt the music business up until the point, I think, where they figured out they could put a lot more stuff out now with this medium mm-hmm. than having to actually print CDs and do these big marketing campaigns. Right. I think that's the that's the thing now, like Sammy Hagar said something like when they were blown and going with Van Halen, his manager told him, once the thing hits 80,000 copies a week, mm-hmm. you're if that's it. Start thinking about the next thing. He's like, now 80,000 a week is the number one seller. Easily. It's just, yeah, it's, it's insane. So I feel bad for 
people that are trying to start now and make a living. I mean, obviously the, the Stones and the, the established bands. They're taken care yeah, of. Yeah, they're taken care of. And, and people will still buy their stuff. But yeah, to try and do something new now is pretty daunting. Yeah, I mean, you think about It's easy to pick on Lars because Metallica sold tens of millions of records. Like, what, you want even more millions? But what about the band we did our last show on, The Church, who, you know, they had one album that went gold in America, and that's it, you know. And they make money off Starfish and Under the Milky Way. Well, now uh, there's millions of free downloads of Under the Milky Way. Now they can't make money off it. You know, it's hurting them. There's no doubt about it. And I was... Definitely a part of it. It's a good thing that in the early to mid 90s when we were in college, that wasn't a thing because we would have done that all day and all night, just like, let's just download everything we get. Dad, I need a new computer because I need more memory because I got to store all these songs in here. You know, it was like, it did all the time. But in my defense, yes, I downloaded a ton of stuff and then I burned it so I could listen to it. But for the most part, I downloaded stuff that then I did go out and buy stuff from those artists okay. because now I've heard it. You know, now I've, oh man, I really love that thing. You know, it's like the Black Sabbath Dio albums. I always wanted them. I burned them. I put them on one disc. I listened to it a thousand times. So then when they got back together, yeah, I bought their album and I went to see them and they made the deluxe editions. I bought the 30th and the 40th anniversary <laughs> deluxe editions of those. So, I mean, kind of a double-edged sword. It does help get it out there. And obviously the internet can help a young band get stuff out there. You want to give something away for free to get people in? Hey, go for it, man. That's cool. And hopefully that will help them sell. But, I mean, unless you're Taylor Swift or Adele or somebody like that, the only way you make money, really, is on touring. Yeah, and hopefully now that things are maybe starting to relax a little bit, they can get back out there. Because I know people are chomping at the bit to see live music. But, yeah, these guys are they're hurting for – well, the artists maybe not, but like everybody else, the the, the you roadies, know, the, roadies mm -hmm. the people that work at the venues, yeah. all that stuff. It's just it just trickles down to there was a um, the guy that worked for Eddie Van Halen for all those years. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember what his name is, but apparently yeah, he's selling a couple of guitars that he got from Eddie because he's he's having a hard time. He needs money. Yeah. yeah, it's it's just it's sad to hear that. I know when I see like Metallica and Steve Hackett doing stuff to raise money for their roadies, I'm like I'll, I'll I'm in. You know I I don't really want a Metallica T-shirt, but yeah if it's it's going to help your road crew. Yeah. Sure, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm all over that. And in America, it is starting to open up. We I listen to Eddie Trunk's podcast. And, you know, Eddie gets out on the road. He does shows and, and goes to events and stuff like that. And he's getting back out there. I saw where Alice Cooper is doing a tour with Ace Fraley opening for mm -hmm. him. He's coming to Jacksonville. Yeah, I know. I got to put the bite on my, uh, my brother-in-law. I'll get him to see that. That'll be a pretty cool show. I've never seen Alice before. Ace, I have seen before. Mm -hmm. At the station in Fern Park, Florida, many years ago, but Alice Cooper not. But I'd like to, uh, I'd like to see that just because I'm sure he puts on a great show. Yeah, I've actually, I've seen Alice twice live, but not as the headliner. I saw him once open for the Stones on Bigger Bang at Churchill Downs, mm -hmm. and I saw him open for Iron Maiden. I think when they were kind of doing the tribute to Seventh Son, when they had like the okay. ice stuff all over the stage or whatever. And obviously, he can carry his own full show, but he even in those kind of abbreviated, that's a 50 minute let's say show he has full props he still decapitates himself you know it's it's fun it's theater <laughs> and and you know he gets a plus side people right to play with him so it's going to sound tight at all times 
Yeah, that and and to see him do the show as a headliner, that would be pretty cool because I don't, I don't, I haven't checked out the venue in in Jacksonville, but I think it's not going to be super huge, so it'll be it's more like yeah, it'd be like a theater show. That would be cool, and then it's always cool to see Ace uh, and the guys he's got with him. Now, one thing we were talking about a little bit yesterday, kind of the pre-show warm-up was what was the was there a band that you saw? live Mm -hmm. that you said well maybe not but then after you saw them live you said i have a totally new respect for them yes yes and for me that band was the black crows i saw the grateful dead in the spring of 95 at tampa stadium the big sombrero Mm -hmm. and it was one of like the last eight or ten or twelve shows that jerry did before he died Uh, and they did unbroken chain which is one that phil lesh sang that they hadn't done for a long time off morris hotel I'm like, oh, that was really cool. But like the Black Crows were opening for them. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm not a fan. I didn't like the brothers, at least Chris Robinson's personality. Rich was okay because he's kind of quiet. But but Chris is kind of out there. I'm like, yeah, you're not that good, dude. And and they played live. I'm like, wow, now that's, that's a rock and roll band. Those guys are the real deal. These days, honestly, because I'm older and my tastes are already kind of set in, I will often skip the opening act. Whereas back in the day, we're like, we got to go. We got to see, you know, yeah. everything, I paid right? for this ticket. I'm seeing everything. <laughs> you know, and like we saw Alice in Chains open for Van Halen. Like, glad, yeah. glad we did yeah. that, right? You mm-hmm. know? But like uh, Candlebox opening for Rush, yeah, we could have we could have had a couple more beers at home before <laughs> before we came to see that one, you know. But that that was one for me. How about for you? I, you know, honestly, I would say it was the same thing. But it was it was a deal where it was probably like a, it was the middle of the week, like Tuesday or Wednesday, and my brother had won tickets. You know, call the the fifteenth caller gets tickets to see the Black Crows, and so. He won them to see them in New Haven, and that was probably about a half an hour drive mm. on a cold Tuesday in like February. He's like, "Oh man, you want to go? No, I don't want to go. <laughs> I got work tomorrow." So he fine. He kept hammering me. I said, "Fine. You know what? If it means a lot to you, let's go." They, it was a, it was a like a theater show. Mm-hmm. They were the. I don't even remember the opening act. They were the headliners, and yeah, to your point, they just blew it up. And they again, it was a Tuesday in New Haven. And they, it was, they, you would have thought they were playing the, the Hollywood Bowl right. in front of everybody from L.A. Yeah, they were just great. Sounded great. The band was super tight. At that mm-hmm. point in time, that was probably the late 90s. So at the, the original band was gone, just, right. the, just the two Robinson brothers. But since they were so big, they could get whoever they wanted to. So the band was super tight. And yeah, I, I think I went out and bought a couple more of their records. I had Shake Your Moneymaker okay. from back in the day because mm-hmm. that was huge in high school. But I went out and bought a couple more of their records just because I I, I just had a uh, appreciation for them. They kind of had a, I don't want to say a bad rap, but they first record was so huge. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of them kind of fell off the mainstream rock chart. Right. But the people who were Black Crows fans were rabid about Still that. Still love them, yeah. yeah. So that that's that's my story too, and you know, talk about opening acts. I think when we saw the Stones in Tampa, we may have uh, may have missed the Spin Doctors, right? Because I, I yeah, because we were supposed to see them together maybe twice, or you know, I, I got two, I got we got Tampa and Gainesville. Person I was going with the Gainesville couldn't make it, so I sold, I traded basically our two upper deck seats for one on the floor. And after the Spin Doctors came off, they came and sat within about six rows of me. <laughs> 
they're pretty close to my show. But that would be a good subtopic, like best and worst opening acts of all time okay. that you've seen. Okay. I mean, look, I saw the Foo Fighters open for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Obviously, they're a little bit more than just an opening act. Like, here, come warm up the crowd. That was almost a co-bill, but they didn't have the catalog, obviously, but mm-hmm. the Chili Peppers did. So it saw seeing them, that was really cool. See, Stones, we had In Living Color on Steel Wheels. Yeah. Or Living Color. The show was in Living Color. Band Living Color. Saw Spin Doctors. I saw Dave Matthews and Smashing Pumpkins open for the Stones in Miami on Bridges to Babylon. Okay. That's pretty good. Alice in Chains for Van Halen's obviously pretty darn good. Yeah, I think that to me that's going to be the number one only because I I was a big fan of the band I still am and I never got to see them. It was always one of those oh, we'll see them next time and then, you know. There was no next time. Yeah, and then Lane passed away and then that was just it. The other one that I, this is kind of a rando one, but my my wife uh, and her father wanted to go see Dave Matthews and Mm -hmm. I had no clue. I had no desire to see that. Right. actually was a better show than I thought. I mean, they, that's another one. That's that was really tight. But the the guy who opened for them was Doyle Bramble the second. Oh, yeah, and that was one I didn't even know he was going to be on the show. I, Whoa, this got a lot better. I right. was a big fan of his back from the Archangel days. Uh, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, I think that's now that I'm thinking about it, Dave Matthews would have been a close second to, I don't want to see this. Don't make me go. Right. I don't like that. And these guys are really good. good. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I remember seeing Doyle. He, Eric Clapton did a tour where Derek Trucks and Doyle Bramall were in his band. Oh, righty. And Robert Cray opened for them. Okay. So then once in a while, Robert will come out and do a song with him. Like, God, there's a lot of muscle up there, you know? <laughs> and, and I saw Robert Randolph and the family band open for Clapton. Than once and Robert mm-hmm. does this crazy slide stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. man, I don't really know this guy. Come out and do it, and 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 he's like, rrr, rrr. even Clapton's watching. Like, check out this kid. Look at him. He's like smiling, watching play. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Speaking of bands that were big when we were in college and went away, I saw Clapton in Nashville not that long ago. Let's call it within the last eight or so years. And the Wallflowers opened for Clapton. Okay. And I had not heard from them since basically their first right. album. Correct. Know? And like, I didn't even know they were still going. How did they get that gig? I'm like, oh, that's right. Jacob mm. Dylan's dad is Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. That must be nice. You just make one phone call and that happens. Wait, how was that? Was that a decent show? The Wallflowers? I mean, they they were good and they played, you know. The hits. A couple of songs that I knew. They also yeah. played songs that I didn't know. Yeah, you know. Mm. <laughs> I s- I saw Bob Dylan play uh, at Jones Beach, and Beck was one of the opening acts for him. Holy mackerel. And it was like, it was weird because I knew Beck from, you know, the loser days and everything else, but right. he's now all like Mr. Like Country Rock. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so it was totally different. I mean, they were, it was pretty good. I was never a huge fan of his, but then at the end, he did go into Loser, and it was, but it was kind of like countrified. Okay. And it, it was, it, it, that was a good show. But then, so, so in the Bob Dylan band, you've got Charlie Sexton. Mm-hmm. Right, and so I see Charlie Sexton, but then I also see Doyle, and I'm like, "Oh, are you guys going to do it?" And they never did any songs together, they but didn't. yeah, I think it was kind of cool. But I, I guess they're still pretty tight as far as friends. And Sexton plays with Bob Dylan, and then Doyle plays with uh, Eric Clapton. So dudes who are great musicians in their own, but you've got mm-hmm. this other gig that that really pays well, and everything is first class, and you don't really have to do anything. Mm-hmm. Like you're either going to show up to see Eric Clapton, or you're not. Or Bob Dylan, you don't have to do any pressers or right. anything like that. You know, yeah, if, if somebody wants Just to put the tickets you, on sale, correct, yeah. correct. You don't have to. Hey, it's the Wacky Morning Show. Come on down to the fairgrounds. Right. No, 
none of that crap. Yeah, that that has to be a cool gig for somebody like that because it's it's a it's a solid paycheck. Mm-hmm. You're working with all pro musicians, and yeah, like I said, you don't really ha- all you have to do is play. Oh, you yeah. don't have to you don't have to hype it. You don't have to do anything else. And I can imagine that if you get hired by one of these guys, they have the utmost respect for you as a player. Yeah. So yeah, you just get in there and do your thing, and yeah. you know, let the let the star be the star. One that I've kind of forgotten about, maybe the best opening act I ever saw was I saw Steve Winwood open for Tom Petty, and I'm like, you know what? Huh. Steve Winwood is going out to open or going early. We're going to catch that show. Yeah. And he played Dear Mr. Fantasy. Oh, you know? cool. And he played Give Me Some Lovin'. Mm-hmm. And he played, you know, he, and he didn't play Valerie. He didn't play that stuff from the 80s. He played like his good classic stuff. Cool. You know, I think he played Glad and stuff like that from the, from the traffic days. It was like, damn, that was good. It was like, that was like the 3rd of July in Indianapolis. And on the strength of Steve Winwood's show, I went ahead and bought us tickets for like a week later, the 9th in Cincinnati. <laughs> So we could go see him and Tom Petty. And it's not like Tom Petty was bad. Right. To see him and Tom Petty again, because I'm like, damn, Steve Winwood blew me away. And then after that, I managed to see Steve about six or seven more times. Like, in a very short period of time, he toured a lot. And and he made a record called Dirty City that he had Eric Clapton come play okay, yeah. guitar on mm-hmm. in the 2000s. Not a big hit, but it got a little play on some radio. And it was great. And he had an amazing band and he had some multi-instrumentalists because you have to have a little flute here and there you have to have a little sax and a guy who can play about four or five different instruments come in there plus he will step out from behind the keys Steve Winwood and come up and play guitar a lot of people don't realize he played both guitar and keyboard in Spencer Davis yeah that, that would be actually that would be an interesting show to do something on him somebody who started so young mm-hmm. had great success I think he kind of went away for a little while and then in the yeah. 80s he had the big resurgence with stuff that wasn't stuff from the 60s but it sold a zillion records and really kind of yeah. cemented him. It was to me, it was kind of like that was his reward for being so great back then is to sell these records and be financially set now. Yeah, it was kind of that '80s. It was very polished. It was obviously radio friendly, but it, it, a lot of those songs. It could have been a Phil Collins song. It could have been a Tina Turner song. It was kind of in that genre. Right. But great. Yeah, he came back and made him money. Then again, grunge comes. He goes away. And then, you know, the last couple decades, he's it's kind of, yes, he's a, a classic act, mm-hmm. but you can't deny his catalog. It's so amazing. And I got to see him in the front row once. He did a tour with Carlos Santana, like a okay. co-headline tour, even though he, he was on first and Santana's kind of the big draw but it's great and he did a he did a box set that was similar to Clapton's Crossroads where you put all of the songs that he was a part of from all his various bands you got Spencer Davis Blind Faith Traffic all that stuff all his solo stuff in one so yeah that could that could be a show we can dive into that's that's definitely a guy who has been around for so long and like Paul Rogers can still belt it out he never he never really went away he never really lost his vocal ability Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, that would be cool. And I think he's kind of underappreciated because I I think he never had the, well, maybe underappreciated in the rock genre because he never had big Eric Clapton rock hits. He had big like adult contemporary hits in the in 80s yeah. yeah I mean yeah exactly the, the people who would have seen him in the 80s probably wouldn't have seen him in the 60s and early 70s correct but that's when I would have seen him right, right. you know that's when we would have liked it so and then he had to kind of come back and say alright I've got this kind of eclectic mix of tunes you know you know all these songs so yeah I'm just glad and he lives in Nashville I guess okay uh, most of the time <laughs> So I moved to London. First year was a little hard just because you've got a lot of 
things to adjust to, you know, new work schedule, new place to live, new neighborhood, daughters in a new school. At least we didn't have to speak a new language, although you do. A friend of mine named Tom there says Americans and British are separated by a common language. (laughs) But, I mean, that's true of anywhere you go. The colloquialisms for New York are different from those in Chicago, which are different from those in the South and all that kind of stuff. So you kind of have to pick up on some of that stuff. But uh, but then I'm like, and and I got to see a couple of shows, right? I get to go. We saw The Who at Wembley. I saw The Colts on the 30th anniversary of the... uh, Sonic Temple tour. I was fortunate enough to go to Slane Castle for their festival, which is, or, or concert, it's really just one day, but it happens every two or three years. You get to see Metallica headline with Ghost and the Stiff Little Fingers and that. But I didn't get to see too many shows. So then 2020 was rolling around like, all right, that's it. Everybody comes to London. I love live music. I want to learn these different venues like the Roundhouse. I want to get into a Royal Albert Hall. You know, I got to see Hammersmith Odeon. So I bought tickets to 12 different shows. And and then they all one by one started to postpone or cancel. The good news is I, I heard Peter Frampton on the Rock on Tours podcast. And he's like, you know, I and he's got some kind of degenerative condition yeah. where it, it, it affects his playing. He can still do it pretty well now. He's like, I want to play my last hometown show. I want to play in London and I want to do that tour. I don't know when I'm going to do it, but I want to do that tour. So I'm still hopeful to see it. That, that would be awesome because, you know, yeah, I don't know what the actual diagnosis is, but you know. Know if it's if he knows it's the last one, he's going to leave it all out there. Yeah, that, that yeah. especially in show. London. Yeah, you know, at Royal Albert Hall, that's mm-hmm. cool. And yes, I was going to see them do Relayer plus others. I've only seen Yes once, and it was when Chris Squire was still alive. But obviously, had the different singer, and I think they had the not the one they have now. They had that Benoit David guy. Now they have a guy who I think his name is John Davis. And Chris Wire was still alive, but Oliver Wakeman was on the keys. And I saw in a small theater to see them in Royal Albert Hall with 5,000 Yes fans, you know, one more time. And Jeff Downs is on there. Obviously love him from yeah. the Asia days. It'd be cool to see them one more time. It's out, and I think I have fourth row seats to see Jeff Beck, which I, I've seen him three or four times now. But to see him, ah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's it's got to be it's got to be killing these guys who you have to make money. I get that, but I think they really do enjoy playing live. So to sit in your house and just you know. I need to get back on the road. We need to get this done. So that will be good when they when they can finally do that. And hopefully, I mean, you got a pretty robust vaccine rollout there. Hopefully it'll be sooner than later. Yeah, they're doing well. And I got my second shot before I came over here. And it, we were recording this on June 22nd. It was supposed to be on June 21st. Things were quote unquote back to normal. Still do some social distancing, still do masks where appropriate. But for the most part, everything's open and you can do live sport and live concerts again. At this point they have not canceled the fall stuff okay so the genesis the steve hackett i have tickets for at this point it's still on not to mention i didn't tell my wife this bruce dickinson's doing like a speaking tour Okay. You know, he just talks about what's up. And that's in August. And they sold that like last month. I'm like, okay, he's pretty confident. I'm going to go ahead and buy it. We'll just see what happens. I've got my double vaccination. I'm happy to wear a mask in if you want me to. And I'll go in there and sit in and see what it's all about. So we'll, we'll see if that happens or not. But it seems like an American really is starting to open up for real. Yeah, I think it, 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 well, you can get into politics and a whole different show, but they, depending on where you were, what state you were in, they, some of them never really shut down, like Florida never really shut down, but like California shut 
entirely down. Mm-hmm. So I think people are especially they're ready to chomp at the bit to get out and get back into their some kind of normal lives. Yeah, and so it was supposed to be June 21st. We were back. Had some spikes in the UK, so they pushed it back to July 19th. But unless there's some kind of super spike or they discover some kind of crazy variant that's like 50 times more deadly or something like that, everything's pointing to that by July 19th, things are going to be open again. So if you've got concert tickets for the fall, hold on to them. There may be a pretty good shot that we get to go. And that's what we're all kind of counting on over here. Yeah, we we definitely need to get back to some kind of sense of normalcy. And I really never realized how many shows come to the Jacksonville area. But yeah, to to have that like constantly being told what's coming up to nothing Mm -hmm. is kind of disappointing. And I know once once this starts going uh, gangbusters, once they get it back up and running again, I will definitely be attending more live shows than I did before just to try and, you know, get things back on the right track again. And because I miss it, too. Miss it. And, you know, some of our favorite, we were just talking about this the other day, how, you know, in the late 80s when the Stones and Pink Floyd toured and everyone's like, oh, man, they're so old. I'm like, yeah, they were in their 40s, like their <laughs> early to mid 40s. Now we're pretty used to all of our rock stars being in their 60s and 70s or dead. You know, uh, so this literally is maybe the last shot to see some of these people. So I think there's going to be a rush to get out there. But what I understand is most artists have been pretty creative during this time. Listen to No Gallagher talk on a couple different interviews, and he did a great show on The Rock on Tours too. Talk about, I don't know a creative person for whom this hasn't been a good time to go out and get some stuff down and create some stuff. He's like, I never write with other people. I kind of write on my own. I've written songs with like five or six different people. Paul Weller has put out two albums in lockdown. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, people are getting ready to put stuff out there and of course, hopefully going on tour, but there's a lot to feel and think and say. So if you're a creative type, these last 15, 16, 18 months, yes, they've been hard, but it's given you the time to lay some of this stuff down. And the other cool part too is it couldn't have happened at a better time, okay? But it, the fact that you've got all the digital tools at your fingertips, I mean, if you've got a halfway decent laptop, mm-hmm. you can make music, send the file to somebody else, they put their stuff on, send it back to you. you know, Sammy Hagar and The Circle have done a couple. They did Lockdown, mm-hmm. you know, Rockdown and Lockdown, whatever they called it. Like Sammy was in his shower singing because okay. that's where the acoustics were the best. And they put it all together. And it really is like having a live show because, yeah, they're they're just chomping at the bit. But you're, to your point, at any point in time, you can just go to your wherever garage or, you know, basement or whatever you record your music and just lay stuff down, send it to somebody else and let them lay their yeah. stuff. Yeah. Layer it on there. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for it. I want it back. You know, it's, it, I don't know. Uh, it, it's been a, it's been a weird 18 months for everybody. You know, we started this podcast out of the COVID, right? Correct. I mean, yeah. We, we decided, Hey, we needed to talk a little bit. We need to stay in touch. And it was five minutes of, Oh, how you doing? Family. Okay. You're a little nervous working at home. It's working. And then it was an hour, an hour and a half of what are you listening to? Have you heard this yet? <laughs> Did you ever listen to, you know? Remember that time when we, yeah. Yes is drama. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's different, but it's good, you know. And, and, and we're not the only ones who've created a podcast during this time. And I wonder if, like, the, we mentioned the Rock on Tours. Are Gary and Guy, once they can go back and tour, are they going to keep doing the show? Because I hope they 
do. It's a great yeah. show, you know. And again, it's it's relatively easy for them to do from their homes. Could probably be done on the road too. So I'm curious because we we obviously want to keep our show going, and I just wonder if so many others will as well. Yeah, I hope so because it is it it was born out of probably boredom or you know just wanting to get something done. But yeah, I hope it does because I love that show, the rock the rock on tours. You know, we love the Def Leppard podcast. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff out there that that's really great and the cool part is you don't have to you can do it again from your house and it's just a cool way to stay connected to people yeah I mean that's the thing we've made some virtual friends out there and folks who are knowledgeable and stuff look we love rock music and we love the history of it we want to know all the people the players who wrote the songs what was going on in that time for the band in music that kind of thing but nobody knows everything about everything we've kind of gotten into early genesis here lately there are people who know have forgotten more about early Genesis than we even know. You know, we haven't even listened to every album all the way through yet. You know, whereas some people could write a thesis, a doctoral thesis on the Peter Gabriel years of Genesis, you know. So that's what's been fun is to find this community because Jackson and I lost contact for more than 10 years because we're not exactly social media people, okay? I always thought Facebook was stupid. No matter, I always thought Twitter was the end of the world. This is the dumbest thing in the history of ever. Only got onto it to start to promote this podcast. And I think Jackson was about the same way. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't really care what you had for lunch or, yeah. you know, who hurt your feelings at work. Yeah. But yeah. Here's Junior in his sailor outfit. <laughs> Here's Junior taking his third dump of the day. Like, who cares? Oh, this is a great restaurant. Oh, yeah, what'd you have to do? Walk in or did you call ahead? You know, who cares? If everyone has a voice, nobody does. And that can also be a political thing as well. But to be able to, we keep it very focused, no politics or anything like that. And we just get into the music we love. And we've we've learned some cool things and obviously found some cool photos and videos out there. There's an amazing community of rock fans all over the world. Obviously, we've got people to download the two of us who are not famous, have never been in a band, and don't have any interviews with anybody. We've got downloads from 60 countries and territories around the world. So there's a lot of people who want to share and hear this knowledge and hear our experience experience about it so uh, we want to hear from you guys as well yeah and and it is cool that, to your point about you know going back through genesis if somebody can say oh no that you know this is what was happening when they were recording okay i didn't know that but that's pretty cool and yeah it, it's nobody's going to know everything about everything but you're just to learn more is exciting mm-hmm. because it, it's a it's a fascinating topic and one that i don't think i'll ever get tired of there's always something new to listen to something new to talk about that's the thing that's what i tell people too is like yes there's new music music in some ways it's easier to find in some ways it's harder to find because you don't have that mass way of finding like MTV or mm-hmm. classic rock radio but it means you know a band from a town of 57 people can make a record and then share it with the world and you can get it out there so that's cool you know so we you know we want to continue to do topics that people are interested in you know we were talking about doing an Eric Clapton Crossroads we were just talking about Steve Winwood um, I want to do one on Oasis's Don't Believe the Truth because I think that's an, or an underappreciated 
gem in their catalog. Everyone kind of goes back to the first two or three albums. Interested to see what the new, uh, I believe it's A&E Kiss documentary is going to be all about. We'll be discussing that or whatever cable channel it's going to be on. Yeah, we got to we got to check that out. So we want to do that. So you know we but but let us know. I mean, if there's something out there that you guys like or a band that we've discussed or haven't, and you say, hey, take a day, dive on this or check this out, kind of thing. I appreciate it. Yeah, and and it's uh, always good to have topics in the uh, in your back pocket to discuss at a date in the future. Yeah, date in the future. All right. Well, if that's our that's our reunion episode there, Jackson. What's uh, how do you feel about what's your next take? What's our next move? You think we should? I think I should move down here so we can do this live every week. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what needs to happen. We just need to retire and do this full-time that would be fantastic which reminds me we need sponsors so anybody out there <laughs> wants to sponsor a rock cast that has dozens of downloads a day feel free uh, please uh, please let us know but no it's it's been good to see you man i mean we we were supposed to see each other the last time i was here 16 months ago and just so much scheduling going on everybody oh, i want to see the family. didn't get to do what i wanted to do which was hang out it was before we had the show so it's been a good three years two and a half years since we've yeah, I think the last time I saw you was when when I was in you were in London looking for a place and I was there on a business trip. That's right. I was it was again it was oh we should do this we should do this it was like one night so mm-hmm. yeah unfortunately your large blocks of time get squished in pretty quickly when it comes to family and uh, other commitments. That's right. That's right. You were in London doing business. I was there looking for a house or a school for the Wolf Cub and you just happened to be there. Yeah. And it was like during Super Bowl time. So it must have been in February or mm-hmm. so. Yeah, February of 2019 before we moved there and then the next year when February of 2020 when we came back to the States we were going to hang out maybe for days like eh, you know eh, well you know it'll just be next time and the world broke <laughs> but then we discovered Zoom and we discovered hey we can make a podcast because honestly I wanted to make a podcast when I moved to London I was going to call it The Ugly American Werewolf in London but I didn't really know what it was going to be about it was going to be the tales of an expat <laughs> in London who cares you know, right? <laughs> who cares you know it's like Oh, the, you know, stuff tastes different over here, you know. know, People, there's more people talking in funny voices over here than in the Midwest. Like, who gives a shit, right? No one's going to listen to that. But then once we started to talk, like, it's once a week, once every couple weeks, we're talking about, like, now that's got legs. Jackson and I could talk about music. We can explore albums. We can go in depth. Because you were like, let's watch a movie together. You know, we'll just start at the same time. It's like we're watching a movie together. It's just 4,000 miles apart. I'm like, well, all right, let's, all right, well, you know. And then it was, I think it was, have you listened to Selling England by the Pound? Listen to that and yeah. we'll talk about that next week. And we did that. And we're like, okay, now this is the podcast. This yeah. is where it's going to go. So uh, we appreciate everybody listening out there. We really do. Especially places like India and Bangladesh and some people who are having a hard time with the pandemic. Some amazing Uzbekistan. We're probably not going to make it to Zambia anytime soon, but we appreciate that there's folks listening. And so, hey, check us out on Twitter at ugly underscore werewolf at actionjack72 and let us know what you want to hear about. We can do a little research. We can do a deep dive if it's something we know we can do it quickly if it's something not well it might take us a little while to uh, to give it a listen and uh, put it together but if it's something you want to hear hey let us know we'll get to it yeah something we're missing out on that would uh, open some new doors that would be fantastic yeah let us know and yeah we'll definitely check out the kiss A&E thing this week we'll probably have to do a little bit of a show on that the shout it out Loudcast is a pretty good place to get all things kiss those guys are fanatics mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're pretty funny 
Uh, I assume that once they see those, they'll have a lot to say about that. Um, so shout out to those guys as well. But for now, hey, it's great to be back in the States for me. I hope I have a longer time in London uh, because when we first went, it was going to be three years. Mm-hmm. And three years will be next April. So the countdown's on. I hope we get four or five total years because at least half of our time here has been during this COVID thing where it takes away everything you want. It was funny. No Gallagher was like, at first it seemed that COVID was designed to personally fuck up my life. Because I only like to do a few things in this world. I like to play live music. I like to watch football on TV. I like to go down to the pub have a pint uh, I like to travel I like to be with my family and all that went away you know I mean you're, you're with your immediate family yes but your extended family you couldn't see them for the longest time especially in England a lot of people in America don't realize how much tighter the lockdown was in, in England compared to here so it's like you know everything kind of went away and I like going to shops to shop you know and can't do that anymore you know it's like all of that went away but it gave him a chance to, to write a bunch of And I'm the same way, you know. I like watching sports on TV. It gave me a chance to get into the Premier League once it came back. I like going to live music. That went away. The reason you move to Europe or any place in the world for a finite period of time is so you can travel. Yeah, and experience that place. And that's what's so wonderful about London. Like, within three hours, you're close to everything. A three-hour flight to, to anywhere from Iceland all the way to Israel, basically. It's, it's not that far away. And all that got shut down. So I want to be able to explore more of England want to be able to explore more of the culture of London, but Europe in general. And of course, to see some shows along the way would be nice. So we'll see the pubs are back open again. So we got that back. Shops are back open. And I'm traveled to the States. So we'll see how much they loosen it. They say maybe by the end of July, we'll be green listed and you don't have to quarantine. You can just take a test, come over and, and do your thing. So we'll hope for that. That'll be good. Because I guess July 19th is really going to open up here. So we're, at least we're, we're hopeful that that's the case because... The loss of life has been horrible. We don't want to put too many healthcare workers in harm's way, mm-hmm. but we've also got to get we back, got to, to, back to normal life. Back to life. And I don't think it's ever going to be the same. And obviously for people who lost loved ones or family members, that's a loss that you can't recover from. But to get your life back to some semblance of the way it was, with a little optimism and a little freedom uh, and options as far as what you can do, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. <laughs> Well, thanks for tuning in to our reunion episode out there, guys. It really meant a lot to us to be able to finally sit together face-to-face with all the uncertainty over the last year and a half. This podcast has really meant a lot to us to be able to talk to each other, share the stuff we enjoy, kind of take our minds off our problems for a couple of hours, which we hope is doing the same thing for you all. Next week, we'll be back reviewing albums or bands, the stuff that you love. But you got to tell us what you want to hear. You got to tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72 so thanks for tuning in everybody and remember everyone all you rock and rollers all around the world be cool and stay safe it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 